You are listening to the Hope Church Weekly Message Podcast. Hope Church is located in Cleveland, Texas and meets on Sundays. Pastor Todd and the preaching team desire for this message to bring life in a dark world. For more information about Hope Church, visit HopeChurchCleveland.com. You have got a special treat for you today. Uh, we've got Pastor Darius. Uh, Johnston is here with him, here with us today. His wife Cindy came along with him. You you should know Darius and Cindy. They both spoken at conferences that we've had. And so, if you're a longtime Hope Church person, you know them from from that. I actually need to say I've never said thank you, but I need to publicly say thank you uh, to Pastor Darius. Pastor Darius uh, nominated me for uh, for something to do with North Texas, and I end up getting a free trip to Romania and Paris because he nominated me. So I I need to publicly say, thank you, Pastor Darius. Uh, We couldn't have done it without you. Uh, I was, I was so excited to take the North Texas money to Romania and Paris. And it was, it was such a blessing. So I don't know if I've ever told you thank you, but thank you for that nomination. Also, I encourage our our staff and our pastors to have a mentor, someone that pushes them to be better. uh, And that is Pastor Darius for me. So a lot of the things that go on around here are his ideas. Uh, and, and the way it goes is if it's a good idea, I take credit. If it's a bad idea, I said, well, Pastor Darius told me to do it. So, you know, it, it's always good to have somebody like that on your side. Uh, so he's got a great message for you today. So y'all give a nice Hope Church welcome to Pastor Darius Johnson. Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. All right. Good morning. It is a true joy to be here and to have my wife with me today. This is my wife, Cindy. Stand up, babes. Everybody can see how beautiful you are. It's my wife, Cindy. A lot of places I go these days, I'm just her husband. Uh, A lot of people see her. She's a regular on uh, Daystar Christian Television uh, with Joni's Table Talk. And uh, so uh, some of you may say, I think she looks familiar. That's where, so uh, we go places all the time and people look at her and wonder, who are you? So I'm just Cindy's husband. I'm here to carry her purse or something. So uh, anyway, Pastor Todd, it's great to be with you. Thank you for you and Crystal allowing us to be here today. Uh, You guys know you have an awesome team here at Hope Church, don't you? I think you ought to give all the pastors a big hand to celebrate. Yeah, so some great folks. We are really honored to be able to be with you. Uh, Several weeks ago, Pastor and I were talking, and and so he uh, told me about your Easter plans, uh, Easter at the depot, which I understand this is something you guys have been doing for, what, three years now? Is that right? And uh, 47 people coming to faith in Christ last year. You know, if, if that doesn't get you excited, there's something wrong with your faith in Christ. You right, Grant? Yeah, man, I heard that man over there. Uh, man, I was just sitting there thinking, Pastor Todd, wouldn't it be awesome if a month from now, instead of 47, we could celebrate 100 people coming to faith in Christ in one day? Come on, you can give the Lord a hand for that. Now, in order for that to happen, it's not going to happen by accident. But it's actually going to happen because we make a conscious choice as followers of Jesus Christ to do our part so that God can do his part. I want to get that again. We got to do our part so God can do his part. See, there are some things that only God can do. But you know what I have discovered is that God won't do what I can do 
until I do what I can do, then God will do what I can't do. And that's what we're going to talk about for these next few weeks. Let me just throw out a question to think about for a moment, okay? Let's start with this today. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? This is just is not going to work. I'm sorry. Messing up. Okay, I'll take... You want to... Here, how about if I just flip this back that way? You want to take it all the way out? He's going to take it all the way off. There we go. Okay, thank you. That way it won't bother you. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Thank you very much. Give thanks to our sound man this morning. There you go. Thanks, Todd. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, if you ask that to the average person, you might get an answer like, well, if you're a follower of Jesus, that means you go to church. If you're a follower of Jesus, that means you read your Bible, occasionally, at least. Being a follower of Jesus, oh, I, that means you pray. Being a follower of Jesus means you tithe. Being a follower of Jesus means you love people. All those are the positive side. And then there's the other side, the side that I grew up with, right? Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, that means you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal, you don't sleep around, you don't get drunk, you don't cuss in church. <laughs> right? You don't kill people. The negative side, right? You don't do this stuff and you do this stuff and that means you're a follower of Jesus. But if you go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus when he was on the earth, there's only one occasion in the Gospels where Jesus tells us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, all those other things that we're supposed to do and not supposed to do, there are good Bible passages that teach us that that should be our behavior because we are followers of Christ. But when Jesus invited people to follow him, there was only one requirement that Jesus gave them. Only one thing that Jesus said would happen in their life. And it wasn't what you might think. In fact, if you walked into most Christian bookstores today, you would probably think that being a Christian or being a follower of Jesus would make you healthy, wealthy, skinny, and smart. Right? Because that seems to be a lot of Christian books. Like, okay, Christian authors write like, okay, following Jesus, here's 10 ways to be, have a better marriage or 10 ways to be a great parent. But in, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus invites his very first followers with these words. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Say that with me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now Jesus was speaking those words to actually men, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, who were lifelong fishermen. They spent their life on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, according to most Bible scholars, it was a family business. They were partners in the family business. Their dads, their granddads, their great-granddads for generations had been fishermen. That was the way life was in those days. You grew up in a family of fishermen, you were becoming a fisherman. From the time you were young, you worked the boats, you cleaned the nets, you prepared the fish. You spent your life fishing so that you could have food to eat, clothes to wear, and a place to live. But Jesus said, if you follow me, 
I will change you from someone who's just after the temporary to someone who's after the eternal. You will no longer have your priority to fish for fish, but now you will be fishing for men. So that brings me to my title today. Here's the title of my message this morning. To follow is to fish. To follow is to fish. Just look at the person next to you. Tell them that. To follow is to fish. To follow is to fish. That's my whole concept. For pastor has invited me to be with you for two weeks. So for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about this principle. If I am a follower of Jesus Christ, if I claim to have committed my life to be a follower of Jesus, to follow is to fish. So it works that if I'm not fishing, then I must not be following. Thank you very much for that good over here. Got quiet on this side over here. I don't know what was wrong with you guys. If I'm not follow, if I'm not fishing, then I must not be following because Jesus said, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So if I don't have a passion for the lost, if I'm not actively involved in being a bridge to those who are not yet followers of Christ, then am I really following? Because Jesus said, if I follow, I will fish. So at, when you came in today, I think you received these cards. Everybody get one of these cards? These are going to be really important in our morning today, in the next two weeks, okay? On the card, it, 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 it has a place on the back and a place on the front, and it has a little tear-off. If you didn't get one of these, if you'll lift a hand, I see these smart people are already ready to pass them out to you, okay? I want everyone to get one of these. I've got one, some over here. There we go. Oh, these, these folks are fast. A couple on the back row back there, if you can help me out. Oh, these, these folks move quick, okay? This is going to be a very important piece this morning. On, on the card... They actually talk about three things. They talk about identify, invest, and invite. Identify, invest, and invite. And I'm going to ask you at the close of the message this morning to identify three to five people in your life who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. To write their names on this card, both on this side of the card and on the back side of the card. At the end of the service, I'm going to invite you to keep the big part of the card because that's going to remind you of Easter and it's going to remind you of the people you're praying for. And I'm going to invite you to turn in the little part of the card. And as a church family, over the next few weeks, we're going to pray over these names that you write down here today. We're going to make a decision that we're going to identify the people in our world who are not yet followers of Christ. Then we're going to intercede for those people because we're going to decide that we're going to be praying for those people. That's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about how to identify and how do I intercede for them. Next week I want to talk about how do I invest in them and how do I invite them. So that's my whole setup. You know where we're going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege to be with Hope Church in Cleburne today. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to stand before your people and declare your word. Holy Spirit, I believe that you are our teacher and you are our guide, so I ask you in these next few moments that you would work through me. Holy Spirit, would you take out anything that gets in the way of what you want said and done? 
And Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today? God, breathe on us. For I ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone that agreed said? Amen. All right, here we go. Let's talk about this word, identify. How do I identify the people in my world who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us in John chapter 4 this very interesting story. Let me set it up before we go to the verse, okay? In John chapter 4, if you remember the story, and you probably don't, so I'm going to help you with it. But you've probably heard, anybody ever heard of Jesus and the woman at the well? Woman at the well, right? So if you've hung around church, you've got it. If you're new today, let me give it to you in a real Reader's Digest. You don't even have a Reader's Digest today, do they? <laughs> My age is showing through, okay? And, and what's, what's uh, in a real... Condensed, thank you. And a real condensed version. There we go, thank you. Uh, one day Jesus is traveling with his disciples and he tells his disciples, we have to go through Samaria. Now, most Jews didn't walk that route. When you're going from point A to point B, you avoided going through Samaria because the Jews didn't like the Samaritans and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. Because the Samaritans were actually half-breeds, the Jews looked down on them as being dogs and being nobody. And the Samaritans hated the Jews because the Jews hated them. So there was this racial conflict that was always going on. So a good Jew, if you were going from point A to point B, you would find a different route to get there so you didn't have to go through Samaria. But Jesus told his disciples, I need to go through Samaria. And the disciples are like, okay, dude, we're with you. And so they're on their journey. They get to this town in Samaria, outside of the town, and Jesus is tired, and they're hungry. And so Jesus says, I'm going to sit down here and wait, because at the well there was shade. So Jesus sits down, and all 12 disciples go into town to buy food. Now, I've always wondered why all 12 went. It's like... Send two or three, you know? It's like, it's like everybody's got to go to the restroom at one time. I don't know. So all 12 disciples go to town. They go to town and buy food. And while, they, while they're gone, Jesus is by himself, sitting in the shade, and a woman comes. But it's the middle of the day. She comes by herself, which tells you something's wrong, because normally in that culture, every morning, in the early morning while it was cool, the women would go together to get water at the well. And it was kind of like they all got together and talked and like women do. But this woman came by herself. And when she shows up at the well, Jesus does something very unusual. He talks to her. And Jesus initiates a conversation and simply says, would you give me something to drink? And the woman looks at him like, what? You're a Jewish man, I'm a Samaritan woman. In that culture, men didn't talk to women who weren't part of their family anyway, much less if the woman was a Samaritan. And so the woman is like shocked, like, why are you asking me for a drink of water? And Jesus begins this conversation with the woman about water because that's something that's a common issue, right? She came to get water. Good bridge. We're going to have a conversation. But before long, the conversation turns to a religious nature. This is what's interesting. And the very first woman in the entire Bible that Jesus revealed, the very first person Jesus ever revealed himself to as the Son of God, the Messiah, was a Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus says, I'm the one who's coming. 
and he reveals to this woman something that she didn't tell him. He says to the woman, go get your husband. And the woman says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, what you said is true because you've had five husbands and the guy you're now living with is you're not married to. Ouch! <laughs> Awkward moment, right? But Jesus didn't make it a judgment moment. Jesus just made it a moment of truth because he needed to convince the woman that he knew her and he was still okay with her. Pretty powerful moment. And the woman gets so excited, the Bible says she leaves her pot. The thing that she carried to get water, she leaves it, runs back to town to, let, to tell everybody. And this is what's cool. She goes into town and says, hey guys, I've met a man. <laughs> yeah, we've heard that a lot before. <laughs> like five times, sweetie pie. <laughs> right? And the lady says, no, this man told me everything about me. This man... Is different. He's the son of God. And because of what she tells them, the whole town comes out to hear Jesus. Now, back up the story just a little bit because as Jesus is finishing his conversation with the woman at the well, his disciples come back with food. And they see Jesus talking to this woman and the disciples go among themselves, why is he talking to a woman? A Samaritan woman. Why waste time with dogs? That's what they're thinking. That's what they're saying. And the woman leaves. The disciples give Jesus food. And Jesus says, man, I'm okay. Well, you were hungry a little bit ago. He said, I've been about my father's work. I've got, I've got food you know not of. And then here comes these townspeople out. And Jesus makes this statement. Are we ready? John chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you. Look at the next three words. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus says to these 12 disciples, open your eyes, guys. Now, now, now think with me a moment. These 12 guys had just spent a couple of hours over in town buying food, right? They had just gone over there. They bought food. They made trades. They, they got from market to market, got what they needed, came back, and Jesus says, guys, you missed it. This town is ready but your eyes were closed. I can imagine what the disciples felt like when all the people they just bought food from come out to listen to Jesus because of the woman at the well. The same people they had just talked to, but their eyes were closed because they didn't see them as prospects because of their prejudice. Who in my world has God already placed there that God needs me 
have a conversation with. That maybe because of my prejudice or maybe because they don't vote like me or they don't have the same skin color I have or the same educational level that I have or the same social economic status that I have. A co-worker, a neighbor, a classmate, somebody whose kid plays ball with my kid. Who is it in my world that's already there that Jesus would simply say to me, hey, open your eyes and look. I think today there's somebody in every person in this room's world who needs to know Jesus. How do we identify them? We ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes so that we can see. And once we open our eyes and identify them, then the second step is we make a commitment we will intercede for them. Everybody say intercede. Intercede. That means we're going to pray for them. How do I pray for the people in my world who do not yet know Jesus? Now, if you're taking notes, three thoughts real fast on how to pray. How to pray for the lost. And, and we miss it a lot of times because we want to say, oh God, please save Aunt Susie. And oh God, please save Uncle Henry. And oh God, please save my heathen brother. Let me help you out with something, okay? God's already done everything he's going to do for their salvation. He did it 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't have to convince God to save the lost. He's already done his work. Boy, this is going over really well. So how do I pray for the lost? Number one, here's three steps. Here's number one. The Bible does teach me that I am to pray for willing workers. Everybody say willing workers. Willing workers. What do I pray for Aunt Susie and Uncle Henry and my heathen brother? I pray, God, would you send people into their lives who will show them the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Isn't that what Jesus said? Look at the Bible. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. You see that? Ask God to send out workers into his harvest field. Here's what is the amazing thing that happens, Pastor Todd. I see it all the time. When we start asking for God to send out workers, then all of a sudden we begin to realize God wants us to be the answer to our prayers. And we're going like, oh God, would you please send her to, to my neighbor? And God says, no, they're your neighbor. You're to be the worker. Come on. When I start praying, I've told many pastors this. I learned a long time ago that I never had a worker problem in the church. I just had a prayer problem. If people would pray, then God would start talking to them about working. If there's a worker shortage, there's a prayer shortage. Oh, this is really good stuff. Because whatever ministry God wants to do in this church and through this church and in this community, he's going to do it through people, not through angels. Hello? 
So when you start praying for the lost and you say, God, would you send out workers into my neighborhood? God, my school, my job, Lord, these are a bunch of heathens. Would you please send some workers? And God says, that's why you're there. Wow. Willing workers. Number two, the Bible teaches me I'm, I'm supposed to pray for open eyes. Open eyes. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. So prayer for the lost becomes spiritual warfare. I'm praying against the lies of the enemy. I'm playing against the blindness that Satan has put into their world. I'm praying against the entertainment industry and the social media platforms that are trying to convince them of lies. And I'm asking God, would you open their eyes? I'm saying in the name of Jesus, Satan, I come against that spirit of deception that you put on my uncle and on my aunt and on my brother. In the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would give them eyes that can see. Pray for open eyes. Pray for willing workers. Here's number three. We pray for spirit conviction. This is something that God does in their heart. John chapter 16, Jesus says, when he comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin. Just a, a little note right here. It's not your job or my job to tell the world how bad they are. Come on. You read some Christian social media and it sounds like they're trying to take over the job of the Holy Spirit. Trying to tell everybody else what's wrong with them. Never works. Never works. Never works. Oh, they may temporarily change and agree with you, but long-term transformation of the heart is the job of the Holy Spirit, not the job of Darius Johnston. Come on now. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to convict the world of its sin. So what we want to pray is, God, would you send out willing workers who will show them an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ and model it in front of them? Would you send in the name of Jesus, would you just, I come against those spirits of the enemy that are deceiving and closing their eyes. And in the name of Jesus, I ask the Holy Spirit to go and bring conviction into their heart. My job is to love them. God's job is to convict them. Oh, but pastor, they need to know how horrible they are. Not from you, they don't. I've never won anybody yet by trying to convince them how horrible they were. You no, know, you want to know what wins people to Christ? Is when they discover that regardless of how horrible they are, they are loved. They are loved. Let me give you practical application of this. Several years ago in the city of Fort Worth, not too far from here, there were two widow women who went to the old, widow women who went to the old Boulevard Assembly of God Church on the north side of town. Now, when I was a kid, we never knew ladies, older ladies' first names. I only knew them as Sister Richie and Sister Stampy. Sister Richie and Sister Stampy lived together in a two-story house that one of their companions had built before he passed away. Their only earthly possession was that home that they lived in. They had an amazing 
practice every morning of the year, including Christmas morning, 365 days a year, every year, they walked two blocks, or first thing in the morning when they got up, they walked two blocks down the street and around the corner to the little Boulevard Assembly of God Church, and they would spend an hour in prayer every morning for their community, asking God to send a revival to save the lost. One morning they were in prayer and Sister Richie was asking God, God, what could we do? We're just a couple of senior widow women living on government income. And Sister Richie felt God ask her, would you give me your house? And she said, well, God, what would you want to do with our house? This was the end of World War II. Many young men were coming home from the war needing a place to live. And so Sister Richie and Sister Stampy decided that morning they were going to turn their house into a boarding house. And this was their deal with God. They said, God, we want you to send us the roughest, toughest, meanest men in Fort Worth. Now, if it would have been me, I would have said, okay, God, I'll give you my house, but send me some nice Christian men, right? <laughs> I don't want anybody to tear the place up. Not these ladies. These were Holy Ghost-filled women who believed in the power of God and the power of prayer that could change lives. So they said, God, we want you to send us the roughest, toughest, meanest men. And here's the deal they made. We're going to pray for them every day until they get saved. And if they don't get saved in six months, we're going to pray them out. So you'll send us somebody who will. So God began to bring men, young men in. One day a young man knocked on their door. His nickname was Pug. Pug was 19 years old. Pug was born in East Texas in a little cotton farming community. He had four brothers, one sister. He was born with a speech impediment, and so when people made fun of him, he hit them. So in school, he was always in trouble because kids would make fun of him, and Pug was always in fights. When he was 10 years old, his mother got sick and passed away and left his dad with six kids to raise. His dad couldn't handle the depression, turned to alcohol. The kids got shipped out to various aunts and uncles to raise. Nobody really wanted Pug because he was the black sheep of the family, and he bounced from home to home. At the age of 15... His dad remarried, invited the kids to all come back home, but the new stepmom was only 18. Pug was 15 and didn't take but a few weeks until the new stepmom decided she didn't want him. So his dad gave him a sack of clothes and told him to get out. And at the age of 15, he was homeless. No system in those days for children. So at the age of 15, he lived under bridges, bounced around from place to place, working odd jobs. At the age of 16, he ran into an army recruiter who enlisted him in the army, helped him fill out the forms and lie about his age. At 16 years of age, he shipped off to boot camp and to Japan. Served in the end of World War II. When the war was over, he was 19 years old and came, wound up in Fort Worth, Texas looking for a place to live and somebody told him about a boarding house. It was $17 a week, room and board. 
He thought those ladies were the craziest women he ever met. They prayed over every meal and it wasn't a short prayer. They had a rule that the sinners lived upstairs, the saints lived downstairs. He got a room upstairs. The food was okay, the place was clean, but they were weird. Every night they prayed and he could hear them calling out the names of the guys who lived in that house. One day he happened to notice a couple of gals came by the house. They brought some cakes to help feed the guys and he asked Sister Richie who they were and she said, oh, that's some gals that go to church with us. He happened to notice one particular gal that came by on a regular basis and he said, Sister Richie, would you introduce me to her? So Sister Richie made a deal. She said, if you'll go to church, I'll introduce you. God knows how to get our attention, right? <laughs> it took a few weeks, but finally after that gal kept coming around, he thought, well, it couldn't be too bad. So one Sunday morning, he went to the old Boulevard Church. It's a little shotgun building. He sat in the back, the left-hand side, closest to the door. That morning, Carl Stewart preached a sermon from John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He talked about a God who loves you regardless of who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. At the end of his message, he asked everybody to bow their heads, and a 19-year-old kid on the back row bowed his head. And when Carl Stewart gave an invitation and invited people who wanted to know the love of God, 19-year-old kid gets out of his seat, walks to the front of the room, and for the first time in his life, he experienced the grace and the mercy and the love of God. That afternoon at lunch, Sister Rich and Sister Stampy announced to the people in the house that Pug got saved this morning. He's moving downstairs. <laughs> then they told him, said, Pug, with your background, you don't have a chance unless you learn how to pray. So tomorrow morning, you're going to prayer with us. So sure enough, before the sun came up, they're banging on his door. Time to get up. He walked two blocks down the street around the corner with Sister Richie and Sister Stampy. He sat on the front row while they prayed and watched him. He didn't know how to pray. He learned how to pray watching two widow women who simply believed in God. He married one of those girls in the church. They raised three kids who went into the ministry. I know that story really well because that man was my father. And I stand in front of you today because of two widow women who believe that the power of prayer can change destinies. My father died at the age of 85 after serving for over 50 years as an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God. Because about a month after he committed his life to Christ, on a Sunday evening, Carl Stewart was preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Dad went down to the front to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and Sister Richie got on one side, Sister Stampy on the other. They prayed him through to a personal experience in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That night, God not only baptized him in the Holy Spirit, gave him his personal prayer language, but God instantly healed him of being tongue-tied. For the first time in his life, he could talk plain. 
And a few weeks after that, God called him into the ministry. He started preaching at the Union Gospel Mission in Fort Worth to a bunch of people who were just like him. Before my father passed away at the age of 85, he made a list of 13 men that came out of that boarding house that went into full-time ministry as pastors, evangelists, and missionaries. Two little women who changed their community and changed the world through their prayers. They never led a small group. They never taught a Sunday school class or preached a sermon. But in heaven, they're going to have some amazing rewards because they chose to pray for the lost of their world. What investment can we make